0: This episode is brought to you by Playback. Playback's a new way to watch sports with your friends. Pick a game or show on any major streaming service, create a watch party, and invite up to 10 friends to watch with you. Right now, any listeners of Legendary Bytes can get early access to the Playback beta. Just head over to getplayback.com slash bytes to sign up.
1: Welcome to Legendary Bytes, a podcast dedicated to two things we love, sports and brevity. I'm Seth. And I'm Charlie. Each episode will bring you a bite-sized sports story in 15 minutes or less that we find fascinating, important, or just plain absurd. Now, with brevity in mind, let's get into it. Charlie, what's on tap for today? Today, we will be
0: telling you the story of Gino Bartoli, a famed Italian cyclist whose rides through the mountains of Italy and France both inspired his countrymen and also saved them, too.
1: Today we're diving into a wild story, one that involves feats of intense athleticism, danger, espionage, and cycling.
0: Cycling is a very interesting sport because it's a balance of intense national pride and individualism.
1: Cycling is kind of chaotic too. In big races like the Tour de France, the sides of roads and even the roads themselves are congested with fans and swaths of riders who group together look like schools of fish.
0: Despite the crowds and the chaos, cycling is inherently a pretty lonely sport. Even though it's said that big egos reign supreme, cycling is really more for the introvert, somebody who can spend hours upon hours alone with nothing more than the sound of the wind rushing by and the thoughts in your head.
1: To dedicate your life to cycling, you have to have a strong sense of self in order to stay sane. And nobody had a stronger sense of self than our guy, Gino Bartoli.
0: Our guy. So Gino's born in 1915 in a rural town on the edge of Florence, Italy, and he's devoutly Catholic.
1: Gino would pray before meals. He set up shrines in his hotel room during races. He was a true man of God. So much so that when riding in competition, children lined the road singing hymns as he pedaled past. This is Disney movie type of stuff.
0: Yeah, he earned the nickname Gino the Pious, which means devoutly religious. It's no surprise that he's the Vatican's favorite athlete because three separate popes personally blessed him, although he only managed to teach one of them how to ride a bike.
1: Take those training wheels off, popes. At the age of 13, he started repairing bikes in a small bike shop. By 21, Gino turned professional, and the following year, in 1936, he won the Giro d'Italia, a 2,200-mile race through the mountains of Italy. The Giro is what is known as a Grand Tour race. Along with the Vuete a España and the Tour de France, these three Grand Tour races are the pinnacle of professional cycling.
0: To win one of these Grand Tour races, it will cement you, the rider, as a legend And Gino won five in his career. And if it wasn't for the breakout of World War II, he might have won five more.
1: So after winning the Giro d'Italia in 1936 and 1937, Gino wins the Tour de France in 1938. He's just 24 years old. And he's known for not only his grit, but his unmatched talent at biking uphill.
0: Gino's a climber. He excels in cycling in the mountain stages and really anything with a high incline. Those tree trunk legs make him the best climber in the world at the time and one of the greatest of sport of cycling has ever seen.
1: It's crazy to me that someone can love to just bike uphill as much as Gino did.
0: It's totally nuts. Oh, it's a deep burn. Oh, it's so deep. I don't know if you heard me counting. I did over a thousand. So in 1938, Gino's fame reaches an all-time high. He's world-famous, he's got popes coming backstage as his groupies. His dominance (laughs) is just beginning when war breaks out across Europe, bringing both cycling and really the entire world to a halt. And as the Nazis march their way across Europe, neither the Giro d'Italia nor the Tour de France are held for over five years.
1: Let's give a little context as to what Italy was like in the first half of the 20th century. Overall, it was a pretty great place to be Jewish. It was safe, there was actually a burgeoning Jewish community in Rome and even throughout the country. Um, But leading up to the war, things changed dramatically, especially if you were Jewish. In 1938, the same year Gino won the Tour de France, Hitler visited Rome.
0: Brief background on Mussolini. A little guy, tiny brain, total piece of shit, um, (laughs) dies hanging, and... At the time, you know, he's desperate to align himself with Hitler as Hitler's power rises in Europe. Following the visit to Rome, Mussolini passes a series of racial laws that define Jews as Jews and not as Italians, like previous generations have come to identify as. These new laws ban mixed marriages, take away citizenship. You know, Jews never had to wear a yellow star in Italy, but they still had to live like they did.
1: By 1940, Italy enters the war, and by 1943, the fighting reaches Italian shores. For the remainder of the war, Italy is essentially split into two parts, southern and northern Italy. Southern Italy is occupied by the Allied forces, that's the U.S., Great Britain. Generally, it was a safer place to be, especially if you're Jewish. Whereas northern Italy was occupied by the access powers, those are the Nazis and the fascists. Obviously, not a great place to be. Bring, bring! Calling the 10th Mountain Division. Shout out to episode one. Get them in there. Let's free Italy back to Gino. Gino lives in northern Italy, where the uh, Nazis and the fascists occupy the country. Like many other Italians, he had to make a moral choice as war broke out. He can either help the Nazis and the fascists or fight against them. So what does Gino the Pious do? He chooses to fight.
0: But Gino's world famous, you know, he's the LeBron James of cycling, he's the pride of Italy, he's a great Catholic, and he has a wife and kids. So while he doesn't take up arms against the Nazis in the mountains of Italy like some of our friends did, he takes up the fight in his own uniquely important way. He uses his cycling ability to run messages for the Italian resistance.
1: So when did his work with the Italian resistance begin? Uh, it's a little TBD, but many believe it stemmed from his friendship with Elia de la Costa, the Cardinal of Florence. He is the one who seemingly convinced Gino to use his unique skill set to help a collection of secret networks, namely the Assisi Underground, that work to hide and save Jews and other persecuted groups from the Nazis.
0: And the lifeblood of these secret networks is information, messages, false identification papers, ID cards, passports. These are all used to smuggle Jews to Southern Italy and then out of the country. And remember, you can't pick up the phone and call or text a priest to say, "Hey, buddy, the Nazis are on the way." No, there are no Epsom printers for fake passports. There's no sketchy guy under a bridge you can call for fake IDs. Photoshop wouldn't be invented for another fifty years. So these efforts are all critical to save those in danger from the Nazis, and they take a coordination.
1: Yeah, and Gino's role in this machine was that of clandestine postmen. Gino is the most famous athlete in Italy, and likely all of Europe, so he used that fame to his advantage.
0: You remember this? When you control the mail, you control information.
1: Masked as training rides, Gino would cycle throughout the hills of Tuscany. These roads and routes he knew since he was a child and he knew much better than the Nazis. And as he would ride these routes, he would pass along messages and photographs that he hid in the frame of his bike. From Genoa to Fornetta to Florence, Umbria, Assisi, Gino would ride for days at a time, passing along messages and critical information for the resistance. To the Nazis and the fascists, it was not out of the ordinary to see Gino riding from town to town wearing his racing jersey emblazoned with his name. And because of his fame, he could ease through checkpoints. Those who did stop him were either starstruck or they didn't want to risk troubling him as a sleb status.
0: When he did get stopped, he played his part really well. He was known to smoke smoke three cigarettes a day to keep his heart rate up suck on that one floyd landis (laughs) it would be a tense situation when he'd get stopped but his fast beating heart was you know entirely normal he was training he would say he was on his training route asked him not to touch his bike as the technical setup was arranged very specifically which is probably both true but he was also hiding secret messages for the resistance in there as well
1: these aren't the droids you're looking for these aren't the droids we're looking for Easing by checkpoints wasn't the only advantage his fame afforded. Gino also used his celeb status to draw attention, like in one ruse when Gino would walk through a certain busy train station. This simple act of him strolling would inevitably draw crowds of fans to follow him like he was one of the Beatles. Such attention drew the guards away from their posts, which would then allow partisans to quickly switch Jews on and off of trains so they could travel safely south or out of the country entirely.
0: So after avoiding detection for a long time in 1944, Gino's summoned to Via Triste in Florence, which is a tower that's being used as a torture center by Mussolini's black shirts and the German secret police. He's questioned for hours, they threaten his life, they threaten the lives of his family. Gino the pious doesn't reveal a single thing. Mech, don't make me go get the
1: bike. Uh, I've got nothing to hide, just uh, go get the bike.
0: He didn't reveal that the hollowed out frame of his bike was holding secret messages and photographs. He didn't reveal that the wagon he's taking on his training rides through the Swiss Alps contains a secret compartment that
1: he was putting Jewish refugees inside of. He probably should have hidden a, a tiny chess champion in there, too. Right. Gino also didn't reveal that he himself hid a Jewish family in his cellar as the Germans occupied Florence.
0: So after this interrogation, he sends his family into hiding and continues his role as clandestine postman.
1: Remember, Gino was part of a network. He was a gear in a machine that worked together to save those who were being persecuted. All involved risked their lives and, in doing so, saved many, many more. And as the war came to an end, those involved in the resistance were praised and hailed as heroes, but not Gino. His time cycling for the resistance was never known publicly during his lifetime. He held that secret from his family and never really spoke of it directly until late in his life. Gino was known to tell his son uh, this piece of advice. He told him, the good is done, but it is not said. And certain medals hang on the soul, not on the jacket.
0: So the war's over and Gino goes back to doing what he does best, whooping ass on his bike. He goes back to the Tour de France and in 1948, 10 years after his last win, Many things have changed. Gino's old, many of the old riders he used to race with are retired, or many of them died in the war. The vibrant country he once raced for is in shambles.
1: Once one war ends, generally another war starts. So this is 1948, and the Cold War is now kicking off.
0: Italy is a central front in that war. Two political parties vie for control of the new Italian Republic. A democracy-centric party backed by the US and Great Britain and a communist party backed by the Soviets as so many other countries were. Tensions between these two parties reach a boiling point in July of 1948 just as Gino's beginning the last third of the Tour de France. The leader of the communist party is shot through the neck in an attempted assassination. Political chaos is all over Italy and the country is hanging by a thread.
1: Gino is in his hotel in Cannes when he's told what's going on in the country. How can he help Italy through this dark period? Well, Gino can win stages, that's how. Though he's behind by more than 20 minutes, the following day, as the tour enters the mountains, which Gino loves, Gino the Pious, who is the best climber of his generation, did exactly what Italy needed most, and he won that day's stage. The day after, he wins again. And the day after that, he wins again.
0: The prime minister of Italy at the time said, quote, To say that civil war was averted by the Tour de France victory is surely excessive, but it is undeniable that on that 14th of July, 1948, the day of the attack on the communist leader, Bartoli contributed to ease the tension.
1: As the tour left the mountains, Gino rode in front wearing the famed yellow jersey. He would wear it through the remaining stages of the tour, through the rural towns in Mulhouse and Strasbourg, through Metz, Roubois and on to the Champs-Elysees in Paris to win the 1948 Tour de France. Gino wins this with a faster time than he did 10 years ago. The 34-year-old was one of the oldest to win the race, and did so by a lead of 26 minutes, which is one of the largest in history.
0: How about Seth's French pronunciations? Gino lives his life atop his bike, and as he himself put it, quote, everyone in their life has his own particular way of expressing life's purpose the lawyer his eloquence, the painter's palette, the man of letters his pen, from which the quick words of the story flow. I have my bicycle.
1: Maybe that is why Gino Bartoli was so humble about his rides to save so many with the resistance. A man who viewed the world from atop a bicycle always felt free, and delivering that freedom to others wasn't anything special, it was just the right thing to do. Gino the Pious rode both for those who wept with pride for their country and for those who wept in fear of their country. Made no difference to him, for above all else, Gino rode for Italy. Thank you to our producer Patrick Buddy to Jesse Rose for his design talents, and to that one Pope who let Gino teach him how to ride a bike. Follow us on all things social at legendarybytes underscore for a lot more interesting nuggets from each story. While you're listening, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Preferably five stars, but we'll leave that to you. Finally, subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to get more great 15-minute stories on sports, history, and everything in between.